Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we'll be talking about the EUMDR, the EU Medical Device Regulations. Now, those are letters that don't sound like they might mean much, but in fact, this is a big, big train wreck that's heading right the way of all the medical devices that are in the EU. We'll be talking today with Adam Stedman. Adam works for Cineos Health in medical devices. We'll be talking about what the EUMDR means for companies that are trying to launch medical devices or keep them on the market through 2020. There'll be some background noise because we're at the floor of an industry conference. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. The EUMDR next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Adam Stedman, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Great. Thank you very much for having me. So tell me what you do. I head up the medical device and diagnostics business unit with Senior's Health. Okay. So medical devices, but I can hear from your voice you are not a Native American. Well, I'd like to say I have a Southern accent. It's actually Southern African. I come from Zimbabwe. Originally. Okay. So you're working in the EU primarily, the US primarily? No, we work globally. We okay. work in China. We do a lot of work in Europe. We do a lot of work in the United States. When you're working on devices, we hit often some devices in the U.S. in terms of like market evaluation or something like that. Sometimes in the price can market access side for hospitals. I don't know a lot about how it's like in Europe. And I understand there are some changes in Europe that's been heavily on your radar. Absolutely. What are those? So there's a huge change in Europe based on previous concerns about safety and concerns about effectiveness of devices. In Europe, it was very easy to get a CE mark in Europe. CE actually stands for Conformité European, Mm -hmm. which is a certificate of conformity, which means that you met the basic standards required to market the product. Now, those basic standards previously really meant that you needed an ISO certified quality management system Mm -hmm. and not a lot more than that. There wasn't a requirement for a lot of clinical evidence. And so what would happen is manufacturers had an easy path to approval, an easy path to commercialization of their products by going to Europe first, getting them on the market in Europe with very little evidence. So there were products going on the market that didn't work. There were products going on the market that quite frankly were dangerous. There was a big recall of saline breast implants that resulted in a recall of 20,000 explanted implants. You don't want those recalls. I must admit, a lot of times when we were on the BD side, helping people with mergers and acquisitions in the US, one of the selling points was always of a product. It's used in Europe. It's been used in Europe for years. Are you telling me that shouldn't have given me any sense of comfort? Absolutely not. You should have had no comfort in that at all. There's a commercial value, but from a patient perspective, not good at all. Absolutely not. What's really interesting is it's very often seen as a European issue. It's not a European issue. It's a marketing of products within Europe. And if you look at things globally, U.S. companies sell more medical device products into Europe than European companies do. And if you look at the global market, you also have major manufacturers in Asia, for instance, out of Korea, out of Japan, out of China, who are selling their products into Europe, not into the States. So Europe has a lot more products available to them in the medical device field. But many of those products are going to go off market soon unless they have clinical evidence to back up the claims that they're making and to prove both the safety and effectiveness of those devices. So everything's changing in Europe is what you're telling me with medical devices? Absolutely. How so? First thing is there's a a lot more rigor. There's a clinical evaluation report that's got to be produced by the medical device manufacturer. So this is a regulatory change? It is 100% a regulatory change, yes. So this report has to now have evidence showing that the, the device can do what it says it can do and that it's safe doing that. There's multiple ways of getting that evidence. There's prospective clinical trials, and we're talking to a lot of customers about doing those at the moment. Yeah, they're on the market now. They want to to be on the market in the future. That's the big issue. 
the big issue is will they have to take their products out of the market for a period of time until they can get them recertified. Of course, the fastest way to get the clinical evidence you need if you've got a product that's been on the market for some time is to go back and retrospectively look at the data you've got out in the marketplace. Now, that's easier said than done. Obviously, you've got real-world late-phase groups like our own who can do a lot of the data extraction and, and, and chart abstraction and that kind of thing. But what often happens is the pathway to sell through Europe because the multiple languages required usually means that U.S. manufacturers in particular and Asian manufacturers will appoint local distributors. The problem with local distributors is they're not always open to giving you back the data of where your product has gone oh, and who those customers <laughs> Well, if they do that, they're kind of giving away the secret source. That's the customer base. So if they gave that information back to you, well, why wouldn't you just kick them out and replace them sometime down the line? So there's a commercial aspect to that, which makes it very hard for you to get back that data. It's not impossible, but it's hard. So that's one of the challenges that currently is facing manufacturers who are looking at going the retrospective route to get data. And sometimes the only real way to do it effectively is to do a prospective study. So when does the music stop? When's D-Day for this? Well, you know, it's interesting. I wrote articles um, last year about the similarity between the change in the EU regulations and Y2K. And the reason for that is there's a sort of massive big future date where we had a, a major concern. We had to redirect resources to fixing today's problem and stop future projects and that sort of thing. And... In doing that analysis, it occurred to me there's no real fixed date. Technically, the regulations change on the 27th of May, 2020. But the reality is there's two things that impact that. The first is the it actually depends after that date which day your CE mark needs to be renewed. It may be three years down the line, and therefore your effective date is three years later for the CE mark renewal. From that date, you have to have new ISO standard systems in place that meet stricter and harsher post-marketing regulatory and safety requirements. So you have that to consider. And then the other thing that's happening is, in Europe, the issuers of the CE marking are the notified bodies. Notified bodies being organizations like TUVSUD. Like what? TUVSUD, T-U-V-S-U-D. It's okay, a German you, company. I don't know that. <laughs> okay. um, BSI, the British Standards Institute. Okay. A lot of these are testing organizations. They're the guys who certify ISO standards and things like that. So mm-hmm. you, when you claim that your factory is certified to ISO whatever the number is, ISO 9001 or whatever number it happens to be, there's a certifying body, and that is the notified body. That's just the quality standards that they have to adhere to. Yeah. So the notified bodies have really huge challenges. They've now got to suddenly become clinically expert in areas that they never used to be. So what's happened first is the notified bodies have to go through a recertification process. Well, there's not a single notified body that's yet been recertified. So that's looming. That's coming soon. The next thing is, in every area that they choose to recertify, they have to be able to demonstrate to the competent authority that they have the bandwidth, that they have the expertise, and they have the knowledge and ability to do that. And they get audited to make sure that they're to the standard. It's not train the trainer, it's audit the auditor, if you like. And so the situation that arises there, there's a huge drain on the industry as a whole. So medical device companies now need more clinical experts. The notified bodies need more clinical experts. And where do they come from? So there's a brain drain, there's a real shortage of expertise. The notified bodies have got to work out how to do this economically. They've got to ramp up, they've got to train staff and so forth. They can't afford to build a ramp period where they're getting lots of capacity, but they can't work to the new regulations because the new regulations haven't come in yet. Hmm. And they've got to work out when they're going to do a cutoff. So they're going to say, when are we going to stop our teams working on the old regulations, train them, change our processes, and work to the new regulations? And that's kind of causing a problem. 
And that's a very hard business problem for a notified body to manage. And so what's happening, the notified bodies are saying, well, from a certain date, we're not going to be taking on any new business. Well, looking at websites a couple of months back, I saw that Tovsut, the company I mentioned previously, they had said they're taking applications for submissions under the old regulations up to November 2019, but only by appointment, by prearrangement. If you haven't prearranged it, they're certainly not taking it. Mm. As time has gone by, that date has shifted closer and closer. And when we look at companies like BSI, they're saying they're not taking anything after March. So what we've effectively got is we've got probably close to a one-year period where if you're coming up with a new product and going to your notified body saying, I want to get this approved, they're not going to do it under the old regulations because they're not taking it. And the new regulations haven't come in place. So we've got a kind of a one-year standstill. And that's got a huge implication. What do you do if you're trying to get your product on the market and you think you should be getting it on now? And you've got to wait nine months. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like we're in kind of the bad, then the ugly, then the good. And we're in the ugly right now where things might just not make it to the market and a lot of things get pulled. Well, potentially, yeah. The first thing, we spoke about some products leaving the market. But what we really didn't appreciate when we were first looking at this a couple of years back is how much product rationalization would be taking place. I was talking to the head of a U.S. company a short while ago a global regulatory head of a year's company. And in the last 22 years, they've rolled up 45 companies into their business they are today mm. by tucking acquisitions, adding new products, product lines. And as you can imagine, there's a massive amount of duplication in their product lines. They had 180,000 SKUs, which is stock-keeping units. And what they said they were going to do is rationalize that down to 45,000 stock-keeping units. That's a massive reduction. It is. And what that means is that means that products that people are familiar with will no longer be on the market. There will be products that, for one reason, works for one patient but doesn't for another. Yeah. For whatever reason. And they won't be on the market. There will be a patient impact to this. There's got to be a patient impact to this. So the workaround that I understood is that most companies don't want to do prospective clinical trials, and they don't have to if they have real-world evidence. Am I understanding that that's the workaround that they're trying for, but data are a problem? That's the optimum way to go. That would be the best way. You're going to save money, and you're going to keep things in the market. Okay. Doing a prospective trial, it depends when people started this whole process. We knew where things stood in May 2017. Yeah. The problem was, first thing everyone has to do is a gap analysis. Well, some people took... A long time to do that. Mm. Some people took a short time and got moving. Some people didn't even believe they needed to do it. There are people today, unfortunately, there are manufacturers out there that have no plan. There are manufacturers out there that have looked at it and said, you know, this is a huge business opportunity for us. Because what they've done is they've gone ahead and got their products organized. They've looked at their retrospective data. They've planned their future trials. But they've also analyzed the market, looked at their competitors and said, well, these three or four are going to drop out of the market. That opens up 15% of this market for us to take. And that's what the smart guys are doing. The smart guys are looking to see how a higher regulatory cost in the short term is a business opportunity that they can take advantage of. Adam Stedman, this has been fascinating. I'm now scared about the (laughs) EU and medical devices. Well, I'm more scared for my colleagues in Europe and patients in Europe who are using old devices that haven't been tested properly. And who knows? There have been issues there, and let's just hope there aren't too many more. And these new regulations, while they're painful, while we're all going through a lot of trauma with them, their best for the patient and that is ultimately what's most important thank you so much for being on the Cineos Health Podcast thank you very much it's been a pleasure that's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast I'm your host Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting if you like what you hear please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher if you have comments suggestions 
questions, or if you just want to talk through a particular challenge that you're having at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at Where consultants, that's what we do.